You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Wow. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast. It is yours truly, Zayerman Isaiah Ike, joined here by Dalton and Lucas. Missing Connor this week. Uh, he had some things going on. Not exactly sure what though. So we'll have to uh, reconvene with him next week and figure out why he was absent. But we are coming to you live right after one of the best football games I think I've ever a seen. Punt bowl. Oh, wait. Worst. Sorry. I said best. I meant to say worst. Vikings lose in Minneapolis 14 to 7 to the Browns. 14 to 7 in 2021. That was a real NFL football score. 14 to 7. Vikings lost. Not much to say. Lucas, let's see what you got. What do you have on today's game? Honestly, you touched on some of it. There was really not a whole lot to even like cheer for about just the game in general. Two touchdowns total. Shocking for a score of, tw- of 21 total points. Freaking two-point conversion was probably maybe the most exciting play of the game besides the Vikes' first drive. First drive looked great. Sounded good. And then I don't know what the hell happened after that. I mean, the Browns are a pretty solid team. They Their defense pressured Kirk quite a bit today, but I just, oof, it was a really snooze fest of a game. Like after that first drive, I was feeling really good. And then just kind of as the game went on, I was like, well, we're down four points and I don't really think we're going to come back. <laughs> like I just said, felt like we're not getting anything going. And I was just like, this sucks. <laughs> Honestly, you said it. That feeling, that's an old school feeling. That's from the past few years of being down by less than one score and just feeling like it's totally insurmountable. This was the offense that we saw today is nothing that we've seen in a long time. They looked as good as the offensive line was last week. They were equally bad this week. The Browns didn't have to bring more than four. I swear they could have brought two if they had just rushed Clowney and Garrett off the edges, I think they still would have pressured Kirk Cousins uh, almost on every drop back. Uh, as Connor is not here today, so I'll be the resident defender. Can you, bl- can you blame him today? Can you blame Kirk Cousins for today's loss? I don't think so, personally. It was not a great showing, obviously. You would like for him to do a little bit to step up, maybe. Dalton's giving me a look right now, folks. He's giving me a look. He's making a face. But... I don't know many quarterbacks who can do much when every single time they drop back, they have a guy all over them. He got hit really hard a bunch of times today. And especially when it's coming with just four man rushes, there's then there's nobody to throw to. It's not like when there's a blitz, you can attack the blitz and things like that. It's just like, there's no one open and I have no time. I understand how he looked frustrated towards the end of the game and why he kind of looked like old school Kirk Cousins a little bit. Lucas, do you think that it's fair to say it's not his fault? Um, I think you do definitely have a point. I mean, especially when they're getting pressure with with four, just like you said, there's that I mean everyone's covered then, right? And you're just have nowhere to go because even if you step around one guy, guess what? There's another guy right in front of you. So I I do think you you have a point about like 
it just it's not all on Kirk for this game. That's for sure. Lord help this offensive line. I swear I'll start going to church. Help me, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, after last week, it kind of felt like they'd turned a corner. And it was interesting because the first two weeks, it kind of felt like the offense was buzzing a little bit in, in spite of the offensive line, especially in their pass protection. And this week, it was a total breakdown on all ends. Like they weren't even they weren't even moving mountains the way that they usually do on the in the run game. So they had absolutely nothing cooking, obviously. I'll just read you the the fun. This is the fun stuff. So 14 plays, touchdown. Three plays, punt. Seven plays, turnover on downs. Three plays, punt. One play, and a, and a half. Three plays, punt. Three plays, punt. Eight plays, punt. Three plays, punt. One play, pick. Eight plays, turnover on downs. Nine plays, game over. Just brutal, brutal. They had one three and out last week as, a, as an offense. And I thought that, as I said last week, I thought that was the reason that the defense looked so good was the fact that they only had the one three and out. So they kind of helped that the offense helped the defense by essentially keeping, keeping them off the field. It was the flip, total flip today. I mean, the defense, I, I got to say they look really, really good. Maybe did they, or is Baker Mayfield just brutal? That's what I'm trying to grapple in my mind because I initially had written down, is Baker Mayfield bad? Maybe. And that was in like the midway through the first to second quarter. And by the end of the game, I decisively come to the conclusion that Baker Mayfield sucks. Any disagreement on the Baker Mayfield situation? How do you guys think about that? It's hard to say, but I think regardless... When the Vikes defense holds the opponent to 14 points, if this Vikings team is going to have any hopes of making the playoffs, you have to win that game. You can't lose a game where your defense gives up 14 points, especially to the Browns, because they have a lot of offensive weapons. Right. But Baker, like you're saying, Tons. 15 of 33 against a secondary like the Vikes, that's pretty bad. Oh, and the throws that he was missing and how badly he was missing them, I couldn't believe it. It was abysmal like he was just missing wide open receivers i legitimately do think the defense played well but i think with a competent quarterback the browns would have won this game by three scores like he was just missing it wasn't that they were totally covered but he was missing guys left and right it it was inexplicable i can understand now a little bit of why cleveland feels the way that they do about baker mayfield it's similar to sometimes i feel like the discussion around Kirk Cousins here in Minnesota. Like, is he really the guy or is he, are we just winning in spite of him? Uh, and that brings me to a point where I'd like to get your opinions on this. To me, this was a, one of those very rare things that kind of can happen in an NFL game. And it was a mirror game. I'm calling it a mirror game. The Vikings were playing the Vikings and the Browns were playing the Browns. It's two teams with identical game plans, identical recipes for success, similar quarterbacks in terms of like, their fan bases kind of like them, don't love them. Uh, a good running game, and if, if things are buzzing the way that they want to, the ground game is a key to success. The Browns love time of possession. They want to have the ball the whole game. Ideally, the Vikings want to do the same thing. Uh, you know, you got, obviously, the Stefanski. You've got uh, Prefer now as the special teams coach for the Browns. So you have all of these like weird sort of like lines woven in between each other a mirror game. Do you like a mirror game? Dislike a mirror game? Merrick Grassman at straws. You know, it's an interesting point because I 
feel like Vikings fans are really down on the Vikes. Like at this point, I think Ike, you had a tweet a couple of weeks ago where you were like four wins, five wins maybe for this team. And the Browns have like Super Bowl aspirations. And then you look at the rosters and it is really similar. Like, like they're very similar teams. So I don't know if that's just because the Browns have three decades of sucking and now they have a decent roster and they're excited about their coach where we've sort of had the Zimmer experience where everyone's a little more down on him now just because he hasn't had any huge successes in his tenure with the Vikes. But I think you might be onto something with this, this mirror, mirror game. And that's, and if you think about it, like if you look at offensively, I would say the Vikings are a better team team than the Browns. Kirk Cousins is better than Baker Mayfield. Dalvin Cook is probably better than Chubb or Hunt independently, but I guess the one-two combo of them might be better than Madison Cook, but it's close there. Then you, right. Yeah. But then you have Thielen and Jefferson and now Osborne is better, especially now that Landry has hurt the top three wide receivers for the Browns. Uh, They have a better tight end. It really comes down to offensively, their line is better. Defensively, we saw it today. I mean, Garrett is a monster. That's a big he, boy. His, his fingerprints were all over today's game where Daniel Hunter's not as much. I mean, he played really well, but it didn't feel like the same level of intensity there. And I think their secondary just was way better too in, in general. And that might be part of what makes the Browns better than the Vikings is just that they have a competent secondary. I mean, look what they did today without two of their... T- starters uh in the secondary they still looked great they were final of the four the field ward is really good that guy can shut people down um so i mean yeah the vikings i guess technically maybe aren't that far away from being a good team but it after a day like today it kind of feels like they are (laughs) yeah i I guess that's just a testament to like you said the secondary but also how important offensive line is so connor is probably screaming that while he's listening Oh, brutal, 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 brutal. Okay. Uh, that got a little sad. So we'll move into our new, one of our new segments from the past couple of weeks from the bike season this year. We're calling it our happy, crappy, happy sandwiches. So these are especially important after a loss, folks. When you're feeling down in the dumps and you just want to talk bad about a team all day long till you're blue in the face, we could do it. We could do it. It's easy. It's easy to get down in the muck and start swimming around and slapping around and all that. But guess what? Not us, not the mini market podcast. We preach positivity, baby. We preach it. We live it. We do it. So we're hitting you with a happy, crappy, happy sandwich, which means we're going to say something we liked, followed by something we think the team may need to improve on next week. And we'll finish it off with another slice of something we liked. Okay. mini market serving you a happy crappy happy sandwich uh so dalton i'm gonna start with you for the happy crappy happy sandwich since we haven't had you on for vikes talk much this this year excited to see what you got little vikes talk i'm gonna take a moment to spin out on you here how about a twins happy crappy happy Wait, okay, wait, what? First of all, what? It's Sunday, Hello. the last day of the MLB regular season. So happy for the Tellum Pod. This is our first full Minnesota sports season. We were covering the Twins before the season. We worked our way all the way through all 162 games. Now the season's complete. So snaps to the Tellum squad, snaps to the mini market. 
I'm happy for us. We've made it. Proven the haters wrong. Woo. Going to be honest, kind of glad they weren't that great. It would have been exhausting to cover them uh, closely all summer, <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> So crappy, this is this is a little bit dated. This happened like two weeks ago, but uh, sort of with all the Vike stuff, you guys didn't get a chance to talk about it. So for the crappy, I want to talk Drew Maggie, 32-year-old utility infielder, 11 years in the minor leagues, AAA for the Twins this year. He's having his best season ever, career highs in OPS. October 8, or September 18th, the Twins call him up. Twins are in Toronto. Two games left in the series. Rob Snyder gets hurt. They call up Drew Maggie, going to make his MLB debut. And what do they do if they sit him on the bench for two games? They play Jake Cave for a game. Jake Cave goes over. They have some opportunities to pinch run him. They lose both games, 7-2, 6-1. And they don't let the guy make his MLB debut. They send him back down. And that's that. Season's over. Didn't get to make his MLB debut. So shame on you, Rocco Baldelli. Shame on you, Twins organization. That guy deserved his MLB debut, 32 years old, 11 years in the minor leagues, and they take that away from him. Well, if he deserved it, he wouldn't have spent 11 years in the minors. That's my take on that one. It's a, it's a bummer, but if he truly deserved to be there playing, he would be there playing. I don't know. He's in 252, 16 bombs, and they played Jake Cave for a game in left field where Drew Maggie has played. Jake Cave's hitting 168 on the season. like In the major leagues. In the majors. Oh, and what were the other guys' stats? Those were... Triple A. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, just trying to figure that me. one out. Just trying to figure that one me. out. You know? Because we're, we're comparing stats, but we got to be upfront and honest about what they are. I mean, are you really that upset about this? I saw this all over Twitter last week, and I'm actually glad you brought it up because I, I personally felt like it was just like, oh, it's, it's a bummer, but it's like, are we going to like fire Rocco Baldelli because of it? Are we ready to get rid of Falvin Levine because of it? Like, No, it, but I it, think you could describe it as crappy. It was crappy uh, of the twins to do. You know what? I love that. I love that. Okay. That was crappy. All right. That, sorry. Yep. 100%. That was crappy. <laughs> All right. And then to put the other bun on this happy, crappy, happy sandwich. Happy. The twins bullpen. Since late August, August 27th, twins bullpen has a 289 ERA. Headlined by a lot of guys who are going to be back next year. I mean, they have Jorge Alcala's been pitching great, 0.69 ERA, but... I won't go into it too deeply. They have the best AL ERA of any bullpen since late August. That's over a full month. Third best in the majors. They're pitching well. It's exciting. I'm happy. Do do you think there's going to be any carryover in the next season with this bullpen? Are like guys keeping their jobs because of this, or are, are they going to burn it all to the ground again this off season? I think there are going to be a couple of guys who who keep their jobs. Um, I think, like I mentioned, Alcala has been pitching well. Caleb Thielbar, he's been a really feel-good story. I mean, he was a guy who pitched for the Twins back in like the early 2010s. Pitched for the Twins in 2015, didn't pitch again until 2020 in the majors and had a nice little season last year, 2.25 ERA in 17 games, but it was a really small sample size. So you're like, uh, I don't know. He was literally the pitching coach for a D2 team in South Dakota. And the Twins called him and were like, hey, want to come to spring training? He's like, uh, sure. And then he pitched well made the roster. Now this year, 3.23 ERA in 59 games. Second or second best in the bullpen. He's 7 and 0, which is kind of funny. Like wins are a weird stat, but 7 and 0 in the bullpen. He's striking out 10 guys per 9 innings. Like he's going to earn on probably a 2-3 year deal. Um so I I could see the Twins bringing him back. I think he wants to be in Minnesota. He's a Minnesota guy. Uh 
when he debuted back in 2015, the twins had previously signed him. He was playing town ball. So he's just like a Minnesota dude. I think he'll stick around. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really interested to see how the twins treat Alex Colomay because he pitched really, really bad to start the season in, uh, May or excuse me, in April, he had an ERA over eight. He gave up 15 runs in nine games, but since then he's actually been really good. May 1st to September 21st, he had a 2.98 ERA in 53 games like that. That's really impressive. Can I tell a story? Go for it. This is your, this is your intermittent twin segment. Dalton. Twin all segment. You. Okay. Let's Sound go back off. a decade here. Picture me, 15-year-old me. I've got my driver's permit. Not my license yet. But you know when you have your permit, you have to go have a couple behind the wheels. You get in a car with some person you don't know, and you got to drive around for like a couple hours. You know They'll tell you to turn left, turn right, get on the highway, stuff like that. So I had one of these. I think it was my second of three. I got in the car. It's a nice lady, nice lady. I get in. Less than a minute after I'm in the car, she lets one rip. Just a steamy <laughs> fart. It stank, man. And I didn't know if I was supposed to roll down the window. She was an older lady. I'm 15. Uh, I'm a little nervous. My hands are sweaty. But it was just, there was, it was obvious. We're the only two in the car. And that was a stanky fart. She was a nice lady. I had to spend two more hours with her, two, three more hours with her. She was nice. But all I could keep thinking about, is, this is fart lady. She's fart lady. Anything she says, it just, I'm just thinking farts. Farts. <laughs> That's Alex Colum. Colum, just a stanky April, a stanky, stanky April. And he's pitched <laughs> great since then. May, June, July, August, September, pitching great. But in the minds of Twins fans, he's fart lady. Fart lady. So he's got a vesting option. Team, um, excuse me, a mutual option. So team <laughs> option, player option for like $5 million this year. He's pitched to a point where I think the twins might actually bring him back, but it'll be interesting to see because he also has to agree to come back. So something to watch. It's going to take a lot of work by like beat writers and stuff like that over the off season. If he does resign with the twins to convince people that he's not fart lady, because I think you nailed that. You nailed it on the head there where like everybody still thinks he's been really bad all year. I wanted to go back on one guy. If we're talking twins, uh, Alcala, you said he's been pitching well, but early on in the season, the knock on him was that he couldn't pitch in kind of bigger spots. He he was, you said, kind of, I think earlier on said useless from the seventh inning on because he was so bad in clutch moments and in crunch time of games. And now we've gotten into garbage time for an entire season. There's no such thing as clutch time. It doesn't matter what inning is it. Uh, so do, do you weigh that into your decision on whether or not you think he was good this year and whether or not you'd want to bring him back knowing that he has traditionally kind of crumbled when the stakes are a little bit higher. Yeah. This, this is kind of like the perpetual question in Minnesota sports. It's like with the wolves, they finished the season well last year, but it's like, do those games really matter? And it's kind of the same thing with baseball. I think just wanting to be optimistic. I think it's, it's still, there's still big situations. I don't think players think too much outside of like a single game, you know, like you're in the eighth inning, it's high leverage. Like you want to compete for your team, whether the twins are 70 and 90 or 90 and 70, like you you want to compete the guy at the plate. He's trying to get a hit. He's trying to save his job. So I like to think that, 
yes, the games aren't high leverage for playoff purposes, but there are still high leverage moments in individual games. And that's when guys are competing. So I like to think that the success can carry over. And if nothing else, it has at least shown him, Hey, I can do this in the eighth inning. Cause he has been pitching seventh, eighth inning in, in some games. So the optimist in me is saying this is good for his long-term growth. All right. I, I hope you're right. I hope it doesn't have an impact whether or not there's people in the stands, you're standing in <laughs> the division, whether or not you have a chance to make the playoffs. If this game, one game has any impact on the future of the team or the organization, or if it's another toss in the hat, I hope you're right. I'm with you, Dalt. That was a good, happy, crappy, happy. Thank you. Uh, that was kind of, we'll say that one was a slider uh, because we were talking Vikes and we got off to a little bit of a tangent there on Love the Twins. That. Lucas, will you bring us back with your Vikings happy, crappy, happy sandwich? Yeah. Um, like we talked about earlier, not a lot to be happy about for this game, but we touched on it a little bit. First happy, the defense played pretty well. Again, some of that is definitely thank you to Baker Mayfield for kind of sucking it up today. Still got the W, unfortunately, but our defense only allowed 14 points, and that's that should be good enough to win a lot of games, I think. So certainly if our offense has been playing, if it goes back to the way it's been playing the last few games. So um, didn't get gashed, so that's a, that's a plus in my book. Um, the crappy did not like the offense at all. The play calling, the execution, we couldn't get the running game going at all. Dalvin hardly played yet again. Happy. Justin Jefferson is still really good, and that is a very good sign. I don't think that's the case. He is awesome. There you have it. He is. No way around it. Would have, would have loved to see him uh, come up and make that play kind of in that fourth quarter. Uh, down the sideline. That was uh, a good defensive effort. If it, I think if he had had his footing a little bit better, he, he would have gone up and made that play. I got no doubt. I mean, that was a really nice throw. Ward just barely got a hand on that one. Maybe it would have changed the game. Who knows? All right. Thanks, Lucas. Great, happy, crappy, happy there. Uh, I'll finish off little Vikes happy, crappy with mine. Similar to Lucas, I thought the defense was great, but I'm going to go specifically their couple of, and I'm calling it two goal line stands. They had two goal line stands in the first half, and the second one was total bullshit. I'll say it. That holding call was super soft on Kendricks, especially when in that same frame, you can see two Vikings defensive linemen getting held, so you get no call back on that. I thought the energy in the stadium for those two, it reminded me of, and he just got inducted into the Vikings ring, ring of honor, but the Williams wall, Kevin Williams, I felt like that was a vintage mid-2000s goal line stand type defense from this Vikings. I thought their front four was getting good push. Linebackers were all over. Those were both really fun, and it was such a shame to have that second one ruined by a, a suspect call. Um, crappy, you talked about it, and I'm, I'm just keeping it real positive on the Vikes this week. So I'm, my crappy was Baker Mayfield. As much as it sucked to watch Kirk Cousins get like knocked around all day and like have no time to throw and tons of tip passes and all that stuff and like having a little bit of happy feet in the pocket and everything, it was more painful to watch Baker Mayfield on the other side of the ball just missing easy, wide open passes with almost no pressure. Like just in terms of watching a football game, that was so crappy to just watch poor football played 
uh, by one of the quarterbacks with almost no reason. Like he had no reason to be as bad as he was today. So, and I like Baker. So I'm not a, I'm not a Colin Cowherd here. I like Baker Mayfield. So that was disappointing. I was hoping for more of a shootout today. And my final happy is Cam Dantzler. He got into the game. Breland was benched and I thought he played pretty well. He had some good tackles. He did get lost on that two point conversion. That's fine. He's a rookie, but he had a lot of one on one matchups with Beckham today. And I think he held his own really well. He's got a lot of dog in him, too. I like that from Dantzler. He's not allowed to not afraid to be a little bit chirpy, a little chippy. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger, uh, which is good for a guy who couldn't crack the top four in this uh, depleted secondary. So, can we stand answer for a second? Happy. Yeah. So, I've seen a lot on Twitter and everything that he hasn't been playing because he's in Zimmer's doghouse. Oh, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned dogs. This came to mind, but he's he's been in Zimmer's doghouse, so Zimmer's oh. not playing him. It seems like he's obviously better than Breland, but he hasn't been playing because Zimmer is making a point not to play him. How do you guys feel about that? Where like Zimmer's, you know, he's never been a player's coach. He's never claimed to be a player's coach. So he's kind of a hard ass sometimes. And in this case, he's not playing a guy for whatever reason, you know, Dancer tweeted something last week that he was pissed and all this. Like, do you think coaches should be putting the best players on the field or do coaches have a right to like bench a guy to make a point? Because to me, when you're one and two now, one and three, you should just be putting the best players out on the field. I don't think now is the time to make a point as a coach. Well, remember back when uh, Bill Belichick sat Malcolm Butler, one of his top cornerbacks in the Super Bowl for like violating curfew? Like, remember how wild that was? Um, I think when you're a guy like Bill Belichick and you get to as many Super Bowls like that, yeah, you kind of have a right to run your ship the way you want it. But when you're kind of steering a dumpster fire right now, you got to have the best guys on the field. Steering a dumpster fire. So is that like the dump truck is on fire and Zimmer is driving it behind the wheel. I just imagine him with that big whatever, giant whatever wheel. He's like, you know, just like little guy, big giant wheel. He's got his glasses down over his nose and he's kind of like looking out over the windshield with the fire going i like that lou that was a good good analogy um usually at this point we'd hit him with a power pivot page turning play of the game but to be honest i don't know if i'm up for it was there really a pivot in this game besides that fourth and four holding call because after that there nothing happened for the rest of the day lucas did you have another power pivot because for me, that was it, and the game didn't change after that. Yeah, mine was uh, pretty much that, or as soon as we kicked the ball off back to the Browns after we scored our first touchdown, <laughs> because the game didn't change after that, really. <laughs> At least for our offense. We set it, but it's not really a play. We'll call it, we'll call it a turning point. Oh. Well, the Vikes are in trouble now. They've got they're one and three. They have the Lions next week, which, I mean, should be a win. But after that, it is a gauntlet. You got Panthers, Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, Packers, Niners. Woof. Yikes. They could be in deep trouble uh, by the end of that stretch. So the Panthers being good really hurts the Vikes. <laughs> like the Vikes had a tough schedule, and we thought the Panthers game was a most likely win and now it, i mean they're they look good very good and the cowboys as much as i hate them they look like they're also quite good 
Um, boy. All right. Moving on. That's enough Vikes. Uh, I hope the rest of your week goes a lot better at Skull Nation because that was not our, not our best. We're going to move on to something we kind of heard in the news from another podcast this week. We won't name names, but there were some reports coming out about gopher basketball relative to recruiting. Dalton, you want to take us through this a little bit? Yeah, Skyuma. So this came out, like you said, on another podcast. Jalen Suggs, who was the number five pick in this year's NBA draft, a Minnesota guy, went to Gonzaga for a season. He was on a podcast with some ex-NBA players and said that he would have committed to Minnesota. He was ready to commit if Richard Pitino had recruited him harder. He said Pitino didn't come to many games, wasn't really present in the recruiting process. So he ended up going to Gonzaga. Suggs did. But he said he was ready to commit to the Gophers, ready to play basketball in the barn, ready to be a Minnesota guy. After he said this, multiple other blue chip Minnesota basketball recruits who went elsewhere. Tyrell Terry went to Stanford, was drafted in last year's NBA draft, now plays for the Mavericks. McKinley Wright, who went to Colorado, now on the Timberwolves roster. Matthew Hurt, who played at Duke for two years and just went undrafted, but is now on a a, a training camp roster. They all came out and saying, I would have joined too. Oh, me too. And they were all tweeting, oh, it would have been a squad at the barn. Like they were all ready to commit, but said that Patino didn't recruit them. So they weren't, they, did, they ended up going elsewhere. And to me, this is a bunch of bunk. This is like you, you come to work on Monday and your friend at work is like, oh, I moved this weekend. It was horrible. Like it was a ton of work. And you're like, oh, you should have called me. I would have totally helped you out. You probably knew they were moving. You had no intention to help them. You did not want to help them at all. You were never going to help them move. But by saying, oh, should have called me. I totally would have helped. You look great. You look like that guy who, you know, I'm always there. I'm always there to help. You just got to let me know. That's the same thing. These guys, they never were going to Minnesota. Minnesota was not going to make them into NBA prospects. But now, now that, you know, they can't go back and change things by saying, oh, I would have gone to Minnesota. It makes them look like, oh, it's, it's Patino's fault. I'm not the bad guy. I would have totally stayed home and put on for the Minnesota fans. I just think it's crap. I think I agree. I honestly, I have a theory on this. I think that... The Golden Gopher AD, Mark Coyle, paid Jalen Suggs to come out and say this because it exactly fits into the narrative of why Patino, who I think was actually a pretty good coach, was fired and why almost explicitly the reasoning for the new hire. Oh, Ben Johnson? Ben Johnson. He was literally brought in because he's supposed to be the guy who has his finger on the pulse of the Minnesota AAU uh, circuit. A lot of great relationships with high school coaches around the state. He's supposed to be this incredible in-state recruiter. I feel like this is too on the nose for them to bring this up. It feels way too sweet, way too, you know, you got to follow the strings on these things. You got to follow the line of information. And I, I just feel like it's too much in lockstep with the whole Gophers basketball coaching change. So I'm on to you, Mark Coyle. I'm on to you. Talent Sports might be doing a little investigative journalism here pretty soon. Kind of crack this thing wide Watch open. Out. 
Um, Check the texts. I, the, the one guy that I actually do think I believe is McKinley Wright because he went to Colorado. It is the Conference of Champions, but like... Quack. I think he maybe would have actually gone to the Gophers if... I think like I think he would have... If Jalen Suggs had gone there, he's the domino, right? Everybody goes if Jalen Suggs goes. But I think on his own, McKinley Wright may have just gone to the Gophers because I think Gophers in Colorado are... They're about as equal as you could get as two teams in two pretty equal conferences. We know one's a little bit better than the other, but we don't have to say which one. Go Ducks. Should we talk about uh, Oregon football this past weekend? Quack. Yeah, lost a tough game in conference in conference champions. And uh, that's, I think, all that we need to talk about uh, with that one. Um. We'll keep it with Minnesota Golden Gophers. We're going to talk football. Note here is that in their victory against Purdue, 20-13 to 13 on Saturday, the Gophers broke a pretty horrendous streak. P.J. Flex first win as a Gopher after trailing at the half. Prior to this, they were 0-17 after trailing at the half. What's going on there? I thought that was a fake stat when I saw that first. That's mind-boggling. The rah-rah guy can't get any rah-rah going at halftime. It's all rah, no adjustments. I, I thought he sprinted, though. Doesn't he sprint across and out of the tunnel and stuff? Doesn't he? Shouldn't that do it? No adjustments. Shouldn't that be enough? I don't know. I thought that was the whole point of the sprinting. <laughs> Quarters. So. Yeah, he's- Maybe you have to adjust. Maybe you just got to work on his 40 time. If he really wants people to start falling, you got to be faster, PJ. Faster. That is shocking, though. 0 17 until then. And like Purdue's not a great comeback win. Uh, So, in a weird way, it's impressive, though. Like he's had a lot of wins. And the fact that none of them have ever come when he's trailing a half, like that's a lot of good first halves. Good first halves. That just is like, I think it fits with what happened last week with Bowling Green. It's like, if it's not working, they don't have another way. They, there's no other way to go. If the mm. original game plan isn't working, there is no backup. And there's no flexibility or malleability with this gopher program right now. So if it's going to work, it's going to work. If it's not, uh, yikes. Would have saved me a lot of time if I knew this before. Like Just watch the first half and then turn it off. They're up, they're down. It's a win or a loss. You already know. Bam. Bam. I love it. Yeah. It, save you. Th- yeah, exactly. That's a lot of reading you could do, folks. Kids. Kids out there. Hey, we got that this. one wrapped up. If the Gophers are down nice. at halftime, hit the books. Extra hour and a half. Back in my pocket. All right. That was Gopher Talk. We got through the Gophers. Uh, just a lovely, lovely program over there on the, on the Mississippi River. Uh, we did a lot of Twins talk, but I wanted to circle back on one thing, and I don't know if you guys saw this this past week, but uh, athletic writer Aaron Gleeman has been on an absolute tirade on Twitter relative to Byron Buxton. He might be the biggest Byron Buxton stan of all time. And a lot of what his points are is that, well, maybe I should just go ahead and read a couple. Let's hear it from the horse's mouth. Is that the quote? What's that quote? From the horse's mouth? Straight from the horse's mouth? 
There we go. Straight from the horse's mouth, from the bird's mouth, since it's Twitter. How does this work? Aaron Gleeman. This is on Twitter. October 1st. I can't fathom seeing Byron Buxton hit 450-foot homers, steal bases at a 90% clip, and make amazing catches in center field, only to think, yeah, but he's injured a lot. Yes, he is. And when he's healthy, watching Buxton is watching one of the greatest players in Twins history. Follows that up by saying, I tweet so many Byron Buxton stats because I think it's important Twins fans realize how rarely a player like this comes along. Focus on the injuries and you lose sight of something truly special happening. And then in like parentheses later, he goes. And also because the Buxton tweets are extremely efficient mute traps, uh, which lends me to believe he will mute anybody who says anything bad about Byron Buxton, which probably tells me that Lucas is muted on Twitter by Aaron Gleeman. Not a Buxton guy. Uh, and then he, Buxton has played just 58 games this season, ranks 18th in the American League with 4.2 wins above replacement. Based on the standard valuation of each war at $8 million, he's worth $33.6 million while being paid $5.1 million this season. And then he goes on to say, Buxton is slugging 578 with 40 run homers in his last 162 games, which I'm sure the replies to that were, yeah, over the last 162 games, which spans seven years, it's his entire career. Those are his full <laughs> stats. And it's actually probably not that far off. Um, and then he finished it like two days later by telling us one more stick in everybody was, Byron Buxton is now the highest slugging percentage, 640 in the history of the Minnesota Twins. So Gleeman has gone on this absolute tirade about Byron Buxton and his value as a player, even though he's playing in like less than half the games every year. For me, this feels a lot like you put out a Sano article recently, Dalton, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I had some things in it where I was a little bit like the numbers don't tell the whole story. And I want to bring in one other name and it's Eddie Rosario. Eddie... Eddie Rosario is gone now. And a lot of the reason that he was gone is because he was so inconsistent. Like Eddie Rosario would go stretches. He'd go months where he's in the lineup and he's doing absolutely nothing. And then he would get super, super hot for two weeks, three weeks, a month. And he would level out to have fairly decent stats as a corner outfielder for a full season. I think we've seen the same thing with Miguel Sano. You were comparing him to Max Kepler in the article, which if you guys haven't checked it out, Tellmsports.com, really good article, a lot of great insight. Well done, Dalton. Thank but you. The point was that people really get on Sano because he strikes out a lot. And it's easy to see a guy is doing bad when they're striking out. But your point was that Sano has been, you know, electric when he's hitting the ball. And him hitting the ball as infrequently as he does, he does amazing things when he does hit the ball. And his stats and his value sort of levels out. My one counter to that is the same thing with. Eddie Rosario and kind of Byron Buxton in a different way, though. If you are only productive for a quarter or half of the season, do you really actually help your team win? Not just on the stats, not just talking about wins above replacement, not just talking OPS, like all of these things that you can use to try to quantify a player's value, but like just watching 162 games. If you have a guy in the lineup and he doesn't do anything for a month, that's, that's, very, very, very hard to get around as a team trying to win games. Like it doesn't matter what his season's OPS is. You're trying to win games. And if you have a guy in your lineup when you just don't know whether or not he's going to be productive and he's not going to be productive for like extremely long stretches, I 
think that hurts way worse than a guy who is a little bit bad, a little bit good, a little bit bad. Like slumps happen in baseball. They just need to be way shorter. And I think people got to that point with Eddie Rosario and were like, yeah, fine. And I think they're getting to that point with Miguel Sano, even though he's been so great. And I think that's also the same knock on Byron Buxton. Is like, you talked about it way early at our Twins preview of if Byron Buxton isn't going to play all the time, it doesn't really matter how good he is because we're averaging him out with Jake Cave. If Byron plays 81 games and Jake Cave plays 81 games, you don't get to say that Byron Buxton is as good as he is over the span of 162 games. You have to kind of average out the play between the two players in your center field position. And so I think that Gleeman just being like, you don't get to talk about his injury is like, well, then you don't get to talk about the things that you think are really good about him. Like you can't pick and choose. He is what he is. And injuries are a major point of Byron Buxton's story in the MLB and his career. It's, it's super unfortunate because you do see how freaking good he is when he gets to play. But it'd be like, it'd be like with Miguel Sano, you don't get to, if I were Aaron Gleeman in that situation, I'd be like, yeah, you don't get to talk about his strikeouts because he hits the ball really well when he hits the ball. It's like, you know, no, you, you have to talk about everything in a player if you're trying to really decide if you want them on your team, if you think they're valuable. Yeah, I think that's a good point because like Gleeman brought up the war point. And if you look at the war leaders, Byron Buxton has more war, more wins above replacement than anybody on the Seattle Mariners. But the Mariners are in game 162 right now with the possibility of making it to the playoffs. And they've had a lot of consistency in their lineups. Like, and that helps. Like you're saying, like knowing that you're going to have this guy out there playing center field every day and he's solid, that is a boon to your lineup. Like, rather than saying, maybe we'll have him for 20 games, then he's going to miss three months and we're going to have to shuffle everyone around. Like, I, I do get that that, that takes a, a toll on lineups. It's, it's, it's all, it, it really does come down though with those boomer bust players, when you're a team that doesn't get to spend $250 million or, you know, $200 million, like some of the, those top five teams that are always good, Dodgers, Yankees, you name it, you kind of have to have those boomer bust guys because if they all do boom, like in 2019 with the Bomba squad, that that's kind of your only way to really, to really hope that you're going to have an electric team. Like you can't sign a bunch of average dudes. who are going to go out there and hit 250, but you know, you're going to get 250 every month of the season. Like to me, I would rather have a Miguel Snow who's going to hit 120 for one month, but he's going to hit 380 another month with 12 home runs. And you just hope that in the month that he hits 120, you have some other guys who can carry him a little bit until he puts the team on his back for a month or two. So you're fine with, so you, you would agree with Gleeman that you would want, you want to keep Byron Buxton, even though. <laughs> so I get your point, how Sano is sort of there when he's hot, but when he's, when he's not hot, he's almost like he's not on the field but it's hard for me to compare him to Buxton because Sano is on the field for 
sorry, I need to look up how many games he's on the field, but I'm pretty sure he's played like he plays a lot, but I my point is that when he's good, he's Byron Buxton. When he's bad, he's Jake Cave. So it's similar in the sense of like Byron Buxton has a three point nine WAR right now. Jake Cave has like a zero. Like his WAR is it's probably negative. It's a zero. He has a oh no no yeah yeah he has a negative point three WAR. So then if so you from average, your center field and they're both position. playing half the game. So you're saying, I'm saying your center field position gets you an, a league average war and you don't need to pay Byron Buxton a ton of money for league average war. You can get a league average player at a way cheaper amount and you don't get to say that he's worth $33 million a year because he's not, because he's not playing all that often. When he's playing, sure. And it's the same thing with Sano. When Sano's super hot, he's worth as much money as you could pay him. But when he's bad, he's... Jake Cave, or worse, he's Max Kepler. And that's why he's getting paid $10 million, which I, I think fair. the guys, like some people are saying Buxton's going to get paid you know, $25 million a year. I wouldn't pay him $25 million a year because I wouldn't pay Miguel Sano $25 million a year. And obviously he's not, even when he's good, he's, he's about as good as Buxton has been all season long when he's played. But yeah, you, you hope that you can get a bargain on a guy who's hot and cold like Buxton because he's not going to draw interest from teams who need a guy who's going to be able to play 140 games because at this point you sign Buxton, you cross your fingers, you say sign him for five years, hopefully one year he plays 140 games and that season we can put a lineup together to make a yeah. run. Yeah. All, that's called all the stars aligning, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I can, I can get on board with Gleeman's thought process of like, I'm sick of just hearing how he's hurt all the time. If you're the beat writer for the twins, you're, focused ton on the twins obviously and he's a major story every year because when he's in he's a talent that we've never seen before honestly like watching him play especially early on this year like it was so much fun to see him out there doing all the things that make byron buxton great but when he's hurt he's hurt and it's like uh, it's just hard to quantify a guy like that so, but i i can get to to the point that Gleeman got to of like, I'm sick of hearing about how he's hurt. Like, let's think about, he was doing a happy, crappy, happy sandwich in a sense. He's like, I just want to, I just want to look at the good stuff with Byron Buxton. So for that, Aaron Gleeman, we can respect you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. It's frustrating to have <laughs> players. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Never mind. Never mind. I was going to try to draw a Byron Buxton, Kirk Cousins comparison, but. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, actually, Byron Buxton and Kirk Cousins isn't an out of this world comparison because oh. Byron Buxton, you're always hoping, can he put together a healthy season? Because we've seen what he can do when he's healthy. Kirk Cousins, you're always hoping, can we put a decent offensive line in front of him? Because when he has time we've seen what he can do best I, best passer in the nfl with a clean pocket kirk cousins highest ops in twins history what was it highest <laughs> yeah highest it? slugging slugging highest slugging in twins history so i i like that comparison with buxton it's just more frustrating because fans fans can't control him getting injured so it's easy to blame him for injury you can't really blame kirk for the line some people oh, do. Some people I, say they should extend. You, you should can. extend plays, but yeah, it's hard to say it's Kirk's fault that 
the GM hasn't prioritized offensive line. There it is. Dalton finally getting in on the Vikes talk. <laughs> I'm here. I'm back. He's here, folks. All right. I think we'll leave it there for this week. This has been the Mini Market Podcast presented to you by Tellum Sports. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Remember, give us a follow on Twitter at Tellum Sports. Check out our website, Tuesdays and Fridays, new content coming out. It's tellumsports.com. Peace. Compete vocally every single day. <laughs> Woo! I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.